0: We're looking in Hebrews because I'm starting this morning a series on the life of Abraham. Now one would expect preaching in Abraham, where should you start? The book of Genesis. But oh no, we're going to start in Hebrews to get an overview of Abraham's life and to answer this question, why are we studying Abraham? Now I know one answer is to simply say, well, it's in the Bible. But there are specific reasons why at this specific time we're going to look in-depth at Abraham's life over the next few months. And I wanted to start in Hebrews to understand why. So follow with me as I read verses 8 through 19 in chapter 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundation, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful. By faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac and he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking he did receive him back. May God be glorified in the reading and hearing of his word this morning. The month of June, now more than ever, brings out a stark contrast between our culture and Christianity. June has been designated by our culture as Pride Month. So that one can't turn on the TV or look at your internet browser without being reminded that alternative lifestyles are not only out there, but, according to our culture, must be approved and even celebrated. This month has also revealed that as believers, no matter how kindly and compassionately we stand on the biblical truth that God created male and female, no matter how compassionately we state that God's plan is for heterosexuality expressed within marriage, and no matter how much we affirm our love and compassion for all people, believers will be deemed haters and bigots. An example of this occurred a week and a half ago in Tampa Bay. The Major League Baseball team, the Tampa Bay Rays, had designated Pride Night at their park. As part of this emphasis, the players' uniforms had on them the rainbow emblem that now is associated with the the Pride Month, as well as that emblem was on their hats. A small group of players, however, made the decision not to wear the logos. A decision, by the way, that was permitted by the management because players were permitted to opt out of wearing them. Their decision not to wear the logos was based upon their faith in Jesus Christ. The designated spokesman for the group expressed in a statement, and I quote, So it's a hard decision because ultimately we want all said what, ultimately, we all said what we want is them to know that, we all are wel- that all are welcome and loved here. But when we put it on our bodies, I think a lot of guys decided that is just a lifestyle that maybe, not that they look down on anybody or think differently, it's just that maybe we don't want to encourage it if we believe in Jesus, who's encouraged us to live a lifestyle that would abstain from that behavior. Just like, in Je- just like Jesus encourages me, as a heterosexual male, to abstain from sex outside of the confines of marriage. It's no different. End quote. These players went out of their way to say, we are not trying to judge anyone. We want all to know they are welcome and loved here. However, these players were still referenced as bigots and held up as examples that ignorance is still out there. The reason I point these moments out is that they remind us that as Bible-believing followers of Jesus, we're not just going against the flow. We're not just swimming upstream. We are swimming against a tsunami. As followers of Jesus, we are strangers and aliens in this world. That comes as part of the package in following Jesus. It's not usually how we think of ourselves. If we were to say, am I redeemed? Yes. Hallelujah. Am I saved? Amen. Hallelujah. I am saved. Am I a child of God? Yes. Am I an alien and stranger in this world? What? Yes. By virtue of following Jesus, we will be different from the world. So the question we have then before us is how can we live faithfully in a world that has fallen? And the church is wrestling with how to do this. How do we live faithfully in a world that is fallen? Some will argue, well, the way we can live faithfully is by simply acquiescing to the culture. In other words, give in. Don't fight it. Just say it's okay and everything is all right. And agree with the new definition of tolerance. Which, by the way, is not the accurate definition of tolerance. However, we can't do that. There's a call upon the life of the Christian to come out from among them and be holy. We can't ignore the call of Jesus when he said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. We can't just acquiesce. Otherwise, the salt loses its saltiness and the light is dimmed. Others go to the opposite extreme. They say the only answer then is to withdraw from the world, make our own little Christian enclave so that we have our own Christian stores, so we eat our Christian food, we have our Christian cars and we only drink milk that comes from Christian cows. But that's not an option either. How can we fulfill the great commission if we don't go? How How can we share the good news of the gospel if we are not interacting with the world? We're in the world. We're not of it. And by the way, salt only works when it's out of the salt shaker. Where is light needed the most? In the darkness. So these two extremes, I do not believe, are viable options for the church. We can't just acquiesce, nor can we withdraw. And that's why we're looking at Abraham. I knew I'd get around to it eventually. It's interesting that the book of Hebrews is written to a church that's being persecuted. and church, we will be persecuted. We have to accept that. It's already happening and it's going to grow. We shouldn't be surprised. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. And the book of Hebrews is written to a church being persecuted saying, don't give up on Christ. Don't fall back into the safety of Judaism just because you won't suffer. And in the midst of this encouragement, the preacher of Hebrews, because it was delivered as a sermon, in chapter 11 starts on this litany of listing those who serve as examples of living faithfully in a very fallen world. Every person listed here is, an axi- is a model of the axiom, the righteous shall live by faith. Now it's important to remember that every person li- that's listed here was not perfect. In fact, you're going to be reminded as we go through the life of Abraham, he was far from perfect. Abraham messed up a lot. But the issue is not perfection. The issue is faith. They were the righteous because they had faith in Christ, and they lived out that faith. And in this chapter that gives us models of what it looks like to live faithfully in a fallen world, Abraham is given more space than any other person. It's interesting that outside of Genesis... Abraham is not mentioned in a whole lot in the Old Testament. Four times in the Psalms and the other mentions of Abraham come in the latter part of Isaiah as well as in the minor prophets where, guess what? Most of the people hearing that message are away from Jerusalem, 800 miles, either in Babylon or Persia, where they are in a culture that is antithetical to the faith they have. And guess what those prophets start doing? You want to know what it looks like to live faithfully? Look at Abraham. Here's a man who models this faithfulness, who models what it looks like to live as an alien and a stranger in a foreign land. So as we look at these verses, and I won't be able to dive in depth into all of them, but it will give us a feel for what we see in the life of Abraham that we need to, to look at and think on in our lives. And the first is this. Faithful living in a fallen world means following Jesus with a tenacious faith. We have to have a faith that is strong and deep. And this is emphasized in verse 8. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. In other words, Abraham was in a place called Ur in Chaldea, which is the southern part of Iraq. And so God speaks to him and says, you need to go. And notice the emphasis is here on his obedience. Now, at this point, let me take a little parenthesis. Abraham was not considered faithful because he obeyed. He was faithful demonstrated by his obedience. In other words, he wasn't made righteous by what he did. What he did demonstrated his righteousness. In Galatians and Romans, that's why Abraham is held up as a model of righteousness by faith. The deeds that Abraham did, his obedience came about because he believed. James the book of James says the same thing I will demonstrate to you my faith by what I do Abraham's faith is demonstrated by that one word obeyed and he was called called by God to go to a place and in this place he's going to receive an inheritance that means there is something waiting for him and up to this point it's like yes God's calling me I'm obey and there is something great waiting Lord where is it trust me Abraham what? Lord, where am I going? Abraham, just start walking. I'll let you know. Wait a minute, God, can I have a map or anything? Abraham, I'm all that you'll need. Just start traveling. Because notice what emphasizes in verse 8. He went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't have all the specifics. Just go to this land. Okay, God, what am I supposed to do on the way? What am I supposed to do when I get there? And God says, I'll let you know then. This is an example of walking by faith and not by sight. The road of the believer is not easy. It wasn't easy for Abraham. Abraham encountered famine, but he kept walking. Abraham failed. He sinned, but he kept walking. His family was divided because of his sin, but he kept walking. You see, there must be a tenacious aspect to our faith that says, Lord, I am yours. Grant me the grace, Lord, to hold on to you even when I want to give up. And by the way, the good news is God still holds on to us. But it's our part to say, Lord, I will believe. Tenacious faith. Back in January, our family had a, a, a time of mourning because our little toothless chihuahua, Tippy went to the other side, passed away. We waited a few months, and then I decided, okay, healing is taking. We're working through the grieving process. It's time for another dog. So I took my wife to a place, and uh, she chose a basset hound. So we now have a puppy basset hound who's, this is June now, six months old, named Buttercup. Buttercup the basset hound. So trying to read about basset hounds, fascinating breed. Do you know the tips, every basset hound has a white tip on their tail because they're hunting dogs. So when they're going and hunting rabbits, you can see where the dog is as he goes through the grass. They also have the second best scent of smell, sense of smell behind the bloodhound. When they lock onto something, they follow. It. That's why their ears are long. It keeps the scent fresh in their noses. That's a good thing. But here's the negative side. Basset hounds are extremely stubborn. I read that and I thought, oh, Lord, what have I done? I brought a stubborn dog into this house. And this is why, that when they lock onto that scent, they won't be distracted. They won't be easily taken off what they're following. They'll stay focused. And that is the call here to say, believer, stay focused on the Lord. In the wash of of our culture, stay focused upon him. Otherwise, you will fall into despair and discouragement. So there has to be this focus on him, a tenacity that says, Lord, I am yours. The same tenacity that was illustrated by an early church father by the name of Athanasius. He's not a household word. I expect most of us didn't have a discussion around the dinner table last night. By the way, did you read Athanasius lately? But he's one that we ought to read about. See, Athanasius was a church leader when the church uh, was being divided. In fact, the kingdom was being divided. There was a man by the name of Arius. And Arius was preaching this message. There was a time when Jesus did not exist. There was a time when Jesus was not. Jesus was a created being who became divine. And Arius was persuasive. Oh, people were, were leaning toward him. The emperor himself was starting to believe Arius. But Athanasius stood firm. Jesus is God. He has always been. He is eternal. And it got to the point where Athanasius became a wanted man because he was teaching that truth. There was wanted posters out for him. Athanasius had a servant that was getting a little bit nervous. The the basset hounds were on his tail. The servant came to Athanasius said, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. Basically, what are you doing? And Athanasius answered with two words in Latin. Contramundum. Against the world. And what Athanasius was saying was, if the world is against me, then I'm against the world. I got chills. Contramundum. If it were not for Athanasius, the church would have become completely followers of Arius. Tenacious faith. How do you develop that? How do we develop a tenacious faith? First, remember what God has done. If you're looking for something profound, that's it. It's simple. Stay in the Word. You've got to have this daily intake of who God is and what he has done. Else our faith begins to wane. Satan wants to keep you away from the word. Get into the word. Second, talk to God. Pray. Once again, this is not complicated. Pray. Do you daily, hourly say, Lord, help me to think on you. Help me to remember who you are. And the third thing is to walk with a community of faith, the church. That's why involvement in the church is now more important than even ever. Because we need each other for encouragement, for, 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 for accountability, to keep moving forward and following Christ. Abraham had a tenacious faith in a fallen world, a faith we need to model, need to emulate. Second thing about Abraham is found in verses 9 through 16. Faith in a fallen world is future focused. You'll notice the refrain throughout this entire chapter, by faith, by faith, by faith. Faith or trust in God was like the piston driving the image. Why did Abraham leave his home and travel 800 miles to a place he did not know and live as a foreigner and a stranger in that place? By faith. He was an alien, a stranger. In fact, he is described as one in verse 9 when it says as in a foreign land. It's saying he was a resident alien. Canaan was his dwelling place, but it was not his home. In fact, verse 10 says Abraham was looking forward. That is, looking ahead to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking to something forward that is described in three ways. A city, something permanent. Second, it has foundations. It is secure. Third, it has God as his architect and builder. In other words, Abraham was looking forward to the day of being with and living with God forever to be in his presence. It's interesting. Some of the language there when he says "Whose designer and builder is God echoes the language of Jesus when he said, I go to prepare a place for you. I have to confess to you that in years past, I mispreached that message, that verse at funerals. Because when I would read that, where Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, I would draw this image of Jesus as the carpenter's son. And what is he doing in heaven? He is building a place for us. He's working on our home. And then I realized I was wrong in that. John 14, guess where Jesus is getting ready to go? To the cross. Our Lord is saying, I'm going to die, and in my death, I'm preparing a place for you. His death has prepared it. That's why he says over here that God has prepared, verse 10, he has prepared past tense. Jesus has already prepared that place. He has opened up the gates that we might know God, that we might walk with him. And what is described as this city is echoed in the book of Revelation as the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And all of that speaks of dwelling with God. That's why it says that they were looking forward to a better country, something better than this world. Please remember that all the joys of this world are simply appetizers of what is to come. J.I. Packer puts it like this, and I quote, This world and its history are prelude and foretaste. All the sunrises and sunsets, symphonies and rock concerts, feasts and friendships are but whispers. They are a prologue to the grander story of an even better place. Only there, it will never end. J.I. Packer continued to say, hearts on earth say in the course of a joyful experience, I don't want this to ever end. You ever been at that place? It's a, a good time. And you think, man, I wish this didn't have to end. He says that we need to remember that because in heaven, it will go on forever. There's no better news than that. That is what they are looking forward to. Now, Some people say if you're so heavenly-minded, you'll be no earthly good. Church, Abraham was heavenly-minded. If we are to be good on this earth, we must continually think that there is a better place ahead. And it will not be boring. See, sometimes we get this wrong idea. I would remind you that what is emphasized in Revelation is new heaven and new earth. We will inhabit this earth, but it will be a new earth. We will run. We will play. We will enjoy grass. We will enjoy the ocean. It will be joyful. Because think about this. Do we really think in heaven there is some point where we're going to look at somebody and say, you know, I really miss going to the park. I really miss in June of 2020 when we went to the Doughboys game. Do you really think we're going to miss anything of this earth in heaven? I hope you say no. We won't. It's going to be more glorious than we can imagine. And we need to think on these things. We need to look forward. That's why he says in verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out of, they would have quit. Now, this rhetorically is a very weighted phrase. Because the temptation of the first hearers was to convert back to Judaism to get out of persecution. And here the preacher is saying in verse 15, if you start thinking on that, you may very well go back. But as it is, desire a better country. And know that as you desire that, God's not ashamed to be called your God. He's prepared a city for us. Keep looking forward to know that the things of this world are not forever. The challenges of this world are not forever. They are temporary And we live for eternity. And living for eternity means, here's the final point. We must rely on the power and the promises of God. Verses 17 through 19 emphasize this. Can I just let you in on a little secret? Life's hard. Even in the best of circumstances. There's difficult diagnoses, there's death. There's challenging choices. Add to that the growing persecution of the church and life is difficult. And it drains our strength. But the good news is this. You do not have to be strong enough because God is. This passage emphasizes that it is God's strength and his faithfulness that will enable us to endure. I mean, my goodness, look at how Abraham is described in verse 10 to remind us of the power of God. Sarah received the power to conceive when she's past the age of childbearing. Now verse 12, he talks about Abraham, therefore from one man. And how is Abraham described? As good as dead. The father of the nations, he's good as dead. He has no power. He's, there ain't no way that guy's going to have a baby. There ain't no way he's going to father a child. And all of a sudden, God's power works. God's power will always be employed to accomplish God's promises. So if God has said to us, and he has, I am with you, even to the end of the age, God's power is going to be operative in our lives to remind us that God is faithful and that he is with us. Know the promises of God and hold on to them. And know that God is not like a man. He will not ever lie. For if God were to lie, the universe itself would implode upon itself. But our God is consistent, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Cling to the promises of God. To know that he who began a good work in you, guess what? He's going to finish it in the day of Christ Jesus. To know that even when we stumble and fall, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our trespasses to know that God has said, I will empower you to know the height, depth, and breadth of the love of God in Jesus Christ. Church, we put too much pressure on ourselves to be strong enough. We will know the strength of God when we utter these words, God, I can't, but you can. That's when we know the power of God. But as long as we walk around with this attitude that we have the answers, we have the power, we know it, we can do it, we will not experience the power of God. When we get to the point where we say, Lord, it's got to be you, I can't do this, I am weak. That's when God's strong. And you're going to see time and time in the life of Abraham where he repents and comes back to that truth. Lord, I need you. Ask God today to supply the strength you need. Ask him to let you experience his love afresh. And keep focused on him. There's a great story about Alexander Solzhenitsyn. May not be familiar with him. He's a, the late Alexander Solzhenitsyn, is a Pulitzer Prize-winning novelist who spent time in a gulag in Siberia. At one point, Solzhenitsyn communicated that he was so discouraged, so tired, he decided that he wanted to give up and die. And here was his plan: he decided he would just quit working, lean against his shovel, and wait for the guard to come and beat him to death. I, I can't imagine where you get to the point in life where it's, I'm going to let this man beat me to death. The prisoner next to Sultzenhuisen recognized what was going on. And very discreetly as he was shoveling, he reached over and with his shovel at the feet of Sultzenhuisen drew a cross. Nudged had him look down and then covered it up so the communist guard wouldn't see it. Sultzenhuisen went on to say, that his entire being was energized by that reminder of the hope and courage that we have in Jesus. Strength to continue, found in Christ, with another believer reminding him of that, gave him hope to continue. Church, that's what's happening here. We are strangers in a foreign land that comes with following Christ. But we have a whole litany of those who have gone before us. Let's walk the way faithfully. I want to ask you to bow with me as I pray this altar's open it is every Sunday as we gather if you want to come and pray maybe your heart's burned maybe as I've spoken about the power of God and the promises of God you just need to say Lord I need those now it may be the other extreme where you're struggling with things and you know what it is not a sin to struggle But you may need to come and you may need to grab a brother and sister in Christ and just say, would you come? I can't talk about it right now, but I just just need to pray. And honestly, there is something powerful about sometimes just kneeling before God. I'm going to pray and then we'll stand and sing together. Lord, you know our hearts this morning and you know, Father, the burdens we bear, the struggles we have. You know them better than we do ourselves, oh God. And all of us as one people confess, we need you, O Lord. We need you. The ways of this world rock us. We need you, Lord, to be our stability and our anchor. Help us, Lord, to live faithfully. Empower us to that end. And Father, let us be salt and light. Speaking the truth in love. Letting our speech be seasoned with grace, doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with you. Grant that this will be said of us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you join me by standing?